Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. very athletic. She's, uh, she's gifted in a number of ways and has good hand-eye coordination. She whipped the snot out of me playing ping pong one year. Actually, the only year I ever played. <laughs> I bought a ping pong table when we first got married and it was just sitting in the, in the game room and so she said, you want to play a game? She said, I know you can beat me. And so I figured that she was right. I could beat her. So, uh, And so somehow she won the first game. And I thought, okay, I'll let her do that. And then she won the second game. And, and then I'm, I'm panicking now because I'm thinking she's going to win the third game. And she won the third game. And she said, and here's what she said. She said, I bet you I could beat you with my left hand. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> And so we've never played uh, ping pong together <laughs> since then. I, let's see, there are certain board games that we played, and sometimes when uh, I'm getting behind, I just stand up real quick and knock the board over and all the parts scatter all over the place. So I have my ways. But it's been a joy being with her over the past 49 years. And uh, as she says, we've never discussed divorce, but murder has come up on several occasions, and so it's a joy to be here. And of course, to be with David and Nicole and uh, with some of my family. I don't know, where's my family? You guys, are, there you are. Way in the back, good. But um, it's, it's good to be here, it really is. And of course, to, to participate in the worship, you don't know what you wanna do when you come here, just should I shake, take notes, should I get on my face, should I stand, and by the time, I'm thinking, should I get on my face? Nicole is already down on her knees, and I say, well, they'll, they'll think I'm following her. So you're just trying to make it your own genuine experience. But um, there's a verse in Haggai and that, that I think uh, it would be great for us just to take a peek at. It's in, and uh, that's these are not in my notes, Cole. I'm sorry not to to do that to you, but it's in the King James translation, and God says, I will shake the nations. I will shake the earth, and the desire of all nations will come. The desire of all nations will come. Would you say Jesus is the desire of all nations? Say it again. Jesus is the desire of all. No, no matter what the, what the world thinks they want, God has built into every one of us a desire for him that nothing else can satisfy. And uh, you can try, you can search all over, couldn't find nobody to meet the need in your life. And so I'm enjoying being in the presence of God and discovering that um, this, this God who is our first love, our only love, 
it's the way he intended it to be. It was kind of a conspiracy when God created us. He put in us a desire for him and, uh, and then let us go. And uh, you keep trying to figure out there's something missing in my life. And it's because he has set eternity in the hearts of everyone. And, of course, it's great to have one of my, my sons with me, Prophet Ron, who has spoken so many words of encouragement in my life over the years. And uh, love you, man. Just appreciate you so much. And where's Donna O and her new husband? There they are. Great. Just wave your hand just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, sometimes I say, um, like Britney Spears said to her second husband, I won't keep you long. But... Um, <laughs> But, <laughs> but this is going to take a while, so just uh, buckle your seatbelt because uh, we have some stuff to do. Um, a few days ago, I was on a Zoom call with uh, some wonderful friends. They're pastors, and uh, they were doing a podcast. And I said, well, what's, what's it all about? And here's the, the gist of what they shared. The conversation will be ending well. So many pastors are burning out, failing morally, ending poorly because of abusive and controlling, and controlling cultures they led. And we want to talk to you about how can we end well. What's, what's broken? And uh, there's a phrase that uh, I've shared with a number of people. Jim Rome, I don't know if you ever heard of him before, but Jim Rome said it like this. Discipline weighs in ounces, regret weighs in tons. Discipline weighs in ounces. Regret weighs in tons. You guys are singing that, that song. I was thinking about um, you were singing one of the songs of my first love. And I, years ago, there was a, I think, beautiful brother from, from the West Coast wrote a song, Only You. I will give you praise. I will sing your song. I will bless you all day long. Only you are the author of life. And the whole focus is on this reality that there's only one person that God determined would be on a throne that he gave him, and that's the Lord. And, of course, a lot of people are really struggling with all the things that are going on right now, and they have no idea that there's nothing new under the sun. And if you think, if you think you're in a bad place as far as uh, diseases are concerned, you're just kind of like in the circle of life. And so there are things that happen. And turn to someone said, it's Adam's fault because he listened to his wife. All right? Just. <laughs> and so we're paying the price for something that somebody else did. Here's some things. A friend of mine sent this to a friend of mine who sent it to me. I know the friend who it came from, but... Uh, listen, when, when you're in a, a time like this, um, there's a point at which you got to say, if I don't laugh, I'm going to cry. And you might cry anyway, but laughing is really important. And we have a moment in which my wife and I, we were ministering for a very well-known minister. Uh, if I were to mention his name, um, you would know who I'm talking about. I mean, I could give you a couple of hints, but then you would really know who I'm talking about. But um, 
another friend of mine made him angry. And because I was with this friend of mine, um, uh, he put me out of his service and uh, he had given me a really nice hotel and came and put me out of the hotel too. And so uh, we looked back on that because it was, it was, I couldn't figure it out. It was embarrassing at the time. But yesterday we were talking about it and we were laughing like crazy. And, um, and so we tried to think about it. You know, when we were going through it, it wasn't really all that funny. But what we've learned is that if it's going to be funny later, it's funny now. And so you've got to tell that to yourself sometimes when you're going through. My wife says she hates masks, and I'm working on a message called On the Road to Damascus. So, <clears throat> um, and just... <laughs> trying to figure out how to get there. But th this was a couple of things that were shared. So COVID has produced a lot, of, a lot of crazy stuff. And I don't know how we're going to recover, but God always somehow finds a way to bring stuff about. So 2019, they said stay away from negative people. 2020, they said stay away from positive people. Just say, I'm, I'm sorting that out. Yeah. The world is turned upside down. Old folks are sneaking out of the house and their kids are yelling at them to stay indoors. You heard about the guy who was on the Zoom call and forgot that he only had his shorts on. And so when he stood up, everybody saw that he was just there with a jacket and tie. Does anyone know if we can take showers yet or should we just keep washing our hands? <laughs> Did you wash your hands? Yes. What about the rest of you? I didn't know I had to. All right. This virus has done what no woman has been able to do, John. Cancel sports, shut down all bars, and keep men at home. And, and how about this? Would you ever have thought there'd be a, there would come a day when you could say, I never thought I would actually say, I wouldn't touch you with a six-foot pole. Um, <laughs> and then the last one is, uh, never in a million years could I have imagined I would go up to a bank teller wearing a mask and ask for money. <laughs> and, and get it. All right, we used to say touch your neighbor, but uh, we can't do that anymore. So just look at your neighbor and say, this is for you. So the question that was raised, ending well has a whole lot to do with how you start. Or maybe not necessarily how you start, but when, how you come to a moment in your life in which you say, I think I'm going to do better because life is going to make a difference for me. And I believe... If you don't have good teachers, good mentors, good models in your life, it's going to be difficult for you to become what God wants you to become on your own. And so I want to talk about some essential principles for staying power. Staying power. In Numbers 14, verse 24 but my servant Caleb, because he had a different spirit and has followed me fully, 
I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall possess it, because he has followed me fully. He had a different spirit. Two and a half million people came out of Egypt into the blessing of God and couldn't recognize it. And uh, they finally got on God's last nerve. Now, when God says, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to kill you, you've got to know that he can do it and has done it. And so a number of people died in the wilderness until another generation was raised up. And two men made the cut when they said, we can do it. And others rejected the idea that they could do it. And they, they suspected that God wasn't being fair, that God wasn't being honest. And in fact, even came to a place in their life when they said, you know, Egypt was better than this. Now you were a slave, you were, you were getting the crap beat out of you. Is that a good word? I know it's a good word because your son uses it. So, uh, <laughs> But it wasn't great. But when you forget how bad things were because you're under a little bit of pressure, it's easy for you to think it wasn't all that bad. When it really was all that bad. And so when you're having that experience and and you're getting ready to, to confront because we don't want to have a life where we aren't experiencing pressures and we aren't going through a lot of stuff. And, uh, and so when those things come, we just say, well, I didn't know the Christian life was going to be like that. And so you've got to ask the question, well, who told you that it wasn't going to be like that? Well, it's in the songs. Well, stop singing the songs. No one has ever come to Jesus on this song. Follow me to the cross and you'll be good. Yeah. We always leave that part out. Yeah. Calvin Coolidge. Here's what Calvin Coolidge said. Anybody remember Calvin? Yeah. I mean, you've heard of him, right? You can't, you can't remember him, but come on. Calvin Kuda says, nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Some of the most talented people that I know didn't make it. A lot of people in the church today are talented, but they are undisciplined. And we were, we're willing to accept their talent because we need their talent, but we don't realize that we are taking things that God has given us to mold and shape. And because all we want is their gift, they lose out. And they are allowed to live lives, in many cases, that are absolutely immoral. And uh, if you've ever been involved in the contemporary Christian gospel, whatever thing, you will know that there are so many talented people, so many gifted people, who have no idea of what it means to live right. And they're being led by preachers who have no idea 
of what it means to live right. And so we put up with a number of things, and the result is that we have a church that's unstable, and when it encounters a storm, it doesn't know what to do with it. Peter, who failed miserably, is writing to uh, the dispersion, the diaspora, they called it, and he talks about add to your faith diligence to diligence, virtue to virtue, hope. And he, he adds several things. He says, and if these be in you and they are abounding, you will neither be unfruitful. In fact, you won't fail. And the best person to tell you how not to fail is somebody who failed. And so what Peter is simply saying, if you pay attention to what I'm telling you, you won't do like I did. And you won't become what I became. Now, Peter is an amazing man, but there are things in his life that had a challenge. And every now and then, Jesus had to challenge him. And he's kind of like one of my favorite guys because he did stupid things with his eyes wide open. Wide open. And I've done those things on a number of occasions. And I'm grateful that I had this wonderful woman alongside me to share. When we first got married, she said, we're going to have a perfect marriage, and I snickered. But she believed it. And in our early days of being married, I was not the nicest guy. I didn't model all the things that I preached. And uh, so one day she just decided, I'm tired of the submission stuff. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. (laughs) And so... (laughs) And she did. It was a very hot day. I could tell you this story. It was a very hot day in the summer, and I was out working in the yard. And when I came inside, she had made a really great pitcher of lemonade. And I came, and I sat down, and I drank some. And while I was sitting drinking the lemonade, she read the riot act to me. Very sweetly, but she read the riot act. And, and uh, she, she mentioned five specific things, John, and I listened to them. And then I went out. I went back outside. As, you know, that verse in the Bible says it's better to dwell in the wilderness. Than a... <laughs> so I went back out. I just said, man, I can't take any more. But then it got so hot out there, I had to come back in and get some more lemonade. When I, got, I came in to get more lemonade, and I got more of these. Five times she said it. The same five things in the same order. And I said, gosh, I got to get out of here. And I went out again. I came back in. I was suffering outside. And, you know, there are times when you oppress beyond the things that you feel like you can't do anymore because there's something's crying to you. And I got inside. When I'm a lemonade, she handed it to me. She handed me those five more things. <laughs> so I sat there and I prayed the dumbest prayer I'd ever prayed in my life. Lord, if there's any truth to what she's saying, would you confirm it? which he did the following day. Three prophets came to my house. And I was so glad to see them. She fixed them breakfast, and I was getting ready to leave for a meeting, and they said, no, 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 we came to minister to you. And I'm looking at them, what do you mean you came to minister to me? And they said, God sent us to minister to you, so just sit down. And so I sat down, and, um, and they said, number one, and deja vu, you know, or like Yogi Berra said, deja vu vu. Um, and it was like, oh man. And I, I think I've heard this number one before. And they said, the second thing God has shown us is, and I realize now they're going to repeat those five things because I asked God to confirm them and I didn't want her to hear it. 
And I wanted to say to her, would you wait in the bedroom while the men of God talk together? And <laughs> I didn't have the heart. They mentioned all five of them in the same order that she had mentioned them. See, I'm, I'm, I'm ADD, and so I needed to hear those repeated, just like she said them. And then they said these words to me, in your lifetime, Joseph, God has backed you into a corner when he was seeking to address something in your life, and you were able to get out. He let you out. He has you in a corner again, and he will let you out if you want to get out, but he'll never use you again. That wasn't an option because I really wanted to be used by God. To be used by God requires you have to come under the word. You have to come under the Holy Spirit. You have to come under discipline. And sometimes you have to come under your wife who has heard a whole lot more from God than you've heard from God. God does speak to women first. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that, but, and I listened to that. I got on my face and I said, God, I want you to use me. And that was the beginning of sorrows because a whole lot of stuff had to be dealt with. But on the other side of that was an amazing thing that God began to do in my life. And so I want to share with you what I feel like is important for you to have staying power. We're going to set apart some elders for the first time in this house. And so I have a message. It's for them, but it's for all of us. Because elders come from y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Elders are just older versions of younger. When you're leading, there's something that God does. He allows you to see things. And it's like people are standing and, and maybe almost like a, a, a video or a movie or a cartoon. You see some people and they begin to rise just above others. And you're looking at them and you realize the Holy Spirit is showing you who he's elevating. And in that elevation, you begin to say, okay, God, this is what we need. This church can't go on if it doesn't have structure, if it doesn't have foundation, if it doesn't have the ability to harvest and to take care of the harvest that's going to come. And so I want to talk about what that means. And I found a definition, a couple of definitions for staying power. One is the ability to maintain an activity or commitment despite fatigue or difficulty. It's the power to stay or continue in action for a long time. Power of persistent effort, so staying qualities. As I said, I've got, um, I've, I've been blessed with ADD. I really have. It's a blessing. Um, it's uh, actually, it's not just for me. It's not just attention deficit disorder. It's a divine dimension. And so ADD, a divine dimension. And so I have the capacity to embrace several things at the same time. And, but you never know where I am. But because of that, my wife, who does not have the same kind of ADD, she has her own brand. Um, <laughs> she will take on a project, and I'll, I'll start with her. And then I'll realize this project is going to take a whole lot longer. And then I go get the mail. And on the way to the mail, I stop and pick up a piece of literature on the grass and I read that and I come back in the house 
looking for a sandwich and I didn't get the mail. There are a lot of things that I have found work for me, but here's where I am. She has staying power. If we're going to paint the house, she's going to paint the house and she's going to finish. I'm going to watch her after a while because I can't do that. So staying power is the ability to hold on to something with a persistent effort. And that's what I believe God's calling us to. So I want to give you several things and, uh, Okay, so if I finish at noon, I'll be okay. All right. What if I finish at 1? What time does your plane leave? Okay, so you can just leave whenever you want. All right, okay. <laughs> so let me just, uh, let me outline these for you. I'll just tell you what they are, and then we will work at trying to get them done. Number one. Stay in fellowship. Would you repeat these after me, please? Stay in fellowship. Number two, stay in the word. Stay in the word. I so appreciated what our young man shared with us. Number three, stay in step. Stay in step. Number four, stay in the way. Stay in step. Number five, stay out of the way. Stay out of the way. Six, stay small. Stay small. Number seven, stay in his light. Number eight, stay out of the limelight. Number nine, stay wasn't. W-A-S, it's was not. Stay wasn't, all right. Stay childlike is number 10. Stay in awe. And lastly, no, not lastly, stay broken. And then stay with your heart above your head. Go with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verse 14. Stay in fellowship. He appointed the twelve whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends so that he could send them out to preach. Other translation says he appointed 12 so that they could be with him and then send them out. Jesus didn't appoint people to go do stuff. The major assignment, the primary assignment is to be with him. Your with himness determines your sinness. If you're not spending time with him, then you don't have anything to say for him. And the choice that we have sometimes is that I'd rather have TV than. And it's hard. It's, I mean, because we live in a world that is so filled with distractions, and many of them are called Christian distractions. And so why not? Why not? Look, you can hear how someone else had an encounter with Jesus. And it can bless you, but you can't translate that into your own life. You have to have your own sense of being. You have to have your own place with the Lord. You have to have your own moments where God spoke to you. I love this when the young man said, it's, as I began to read the word, something happened in me. Because we're going to that in the next point. But the point simply, in, and if you don't understand that what... Jesus requires from us. If you're going to be an intercessor, you have to have an intimate relationship with the one that you're speaking on behalf of. 
I think once in a while, every now and then, God wants to, you know, just Jesus wants to live. I didn't say that at all. That's not what I said. Stop misrepresenting me. When, when you are with him and people who have been with him have been with him, they know if you've been with him. But what happens is that we live in a world where people who have been with him are on television, they're on YouTube, they're saying things that get you, and then people who have not been with them listen to those who have been with him and they steal their words. And then they'll stand somewhat as a presenter of something and they will say something and they'll say, oh, that's profound. Oh, it is profound, but they didn't say it. They heard it from somebody else. And there are people that I've listened to and you guys know that we know them, you know all of them. We talk about them all the time, but behind their back. But you know, they didn't write that. They didn't say that. They didn't write that song. And intimacy is, someone said it like this, intimacy, I-N-T-I-M-A-C-Y, is really I-N-T-O-M-E-S-E-E. Into me, see. God wants you to be with him so that you can have into me, see. Let's go on. Number two, stay in the word. Stay in the word. Really talented worship leader told his pastor that he felt like God had called him to preach. And he says, all right, son, I'll let you preach one Sunday evening. Right after you lead worship, you just take it over. And so he led worship, and the worship leading was phenomenal. And then he said, well, it's your turn. And so he stood there, and he was doing this. And after about three minutes, the pastor said, uh, Sean, what you doing? He said, I'm trying to find Genesis Bishop. And so uh, he, said, <laughs> he said, son, sit down. If you don't know the Bible, if you don't know the word, if you're not familiar with this, this book here, listen to this passage. Job 23, 12, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than, I have, than my necessary food. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. That the idea of being a solid, biblical-founded Christian cannot happen apart from your familiarity with this book. And I tell people, I say, if you're coming to have a counseling session with me, bring your Bible. It's when I find out something about them. And I said, turn to the book of Haggai. And they start doing like this. And I'm saying, you, you need to become familiar with this. Because this is the book that's going to get you to heaven. You can't get there without what God has put in this book. If you can't read it. If you can't read it, if you're in a place where you can't read it, then get one of those little programs where someone is reading it and listen to the reading of the word. In fact, Paul told Timothy, he said, pay attention to the public reading of scripture. Because in the New Testament, they didn't all have Bibles. They didn't all have 30 versions of Bibles. And they didn't read the one of them. That went over your head, all right. How many translations do you have? Oh, I got five, 10. How many do you read? Well, when I get a chance, I like to read. Stay in the word. 
Say in the word. D.L. Moody said it like this. He says, this book will keep you from sin. He said, and sin will keep you from this book. If you're not reading it, you need to ask yourself the question, why am I not reading it? Are you more hungry for the natural food or are you more hungry for this? And it's okay to eat. It really is. But once in a while, you need to eat this and you need to feed on it. Are you all breathing? All right. Number three, stay in step. Stay in step. Amos 3 verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? One of my mentors is a guy by the name of Bob Mumford. And he said, God spoke to him one day and he said, Bob, you and I are incompatible and I don't change. I'm going to think about that for a moment. You could too. We're, we're incompatible and I don't change. When that verse in Isaiah says, come now and let us reason together. God is talking to a human being. He doesn't really mean it. Come now, let us reason together. Who's going to reason with God? It's not, not come now, let us reason together. It's come now and listen to what I'm going to tell you. And you will find it reasonable because it's going to save your life. I love this idea of Caleb. The Bible says he had a different spirit in him and he followed me fully. It wasn't something that he was faking. And 85 years old, 40 years after everybody else said no, he was still saying yes all the way into the journey. And at that point, God says, you know what, son? You earned the right to have an inheritance. And Caleb was able to say at 85, 85, she's, eight, she's 82, I'm 82. She's going to be 83 in July. I married an older woman. But the thing is, is that there's something about age that has nothing to do with God. Lord have mercy, mature Christian. Who is a mature Christian next to the ancient of days? There, there is no maturity. You're just here. We're all, even the hundred year old, the Bible says, will be like a child. So don't put a whole lot in your maturity. Look, there are people today who haven't spent as much time in Jesus as others have, but they have a greater relationship and a greater awareness of what Jesus is saying to them. He followed me fully. Say that, please. He followed me fully. Number four, stay in the way. Say that, please. Stay in. Now, I want to make a distinction between those, the term that's being used. This guy said to me, he said, that brother right there, he said, I've been in the way for 40 years. And we said, yes. <laughs> you have been in the way. Abraham, Genesis 24, sends his servant to go get a bride for his son. He goes to get the bride. Abraham gives him specific instructions and he has him to make a solemn oath to him that he will do it the exact way that he's supposed to do it. And this guy carries it out just like he's supposed to do. He finds this woman. He speaks to God. I want this kind of person. I want this kind of response. And then I will know that it's the Lord. He finds that person. And then when he finds the person, he says, and I want you to see this place. You've got to read the whole story. He says, blessed be the Lord God of my master, Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth, I being in the way, I being in the way, the Lord led me. 
When you are in the right way, leadership happens. When you are in the right way, and sometimes you don't, you don't get to the right way just because you figured it out. Ruth did not have any idea where the place of favor was. But she said to her mother-in-law, I want to go get a job and take care of us. And I'm going to work in the sight of one in whom I have found favor. And the Bible says, Ruth, who is new to Bethlehem, walks out of the house and lights on the property belonging to the one guy who can rock her world. She happened, say happened. She happened upon the field that belonged to Boaz. And you know the rest of the story. Because you are in the right way, when your heart is open to God, when you're saying, God, I want to do your will. I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to do your purpose. On our honeymoon, 49 years ago, on our honeymoon, I'm reading this little book. And in the book, there's this little prayer that says, God, if you're doing anything in the earth, I want to be a part of it. And I turned to Barbara and I said, this is a great prayer. She said, yeah. I said, let's pray. She said, you go ahead and pray it. And so <laughs> there is something in there, all right? And, uh, and so I prayed it. Lord, if you're doing anything on earth, we want to be a part of that. 30 days from praying that prayer, we were kicked out of the Pentecostal denomination we were part of. Kicked out. Not invited out. Not saying, would you guys like to go somewhere else? We were thrown out. Kicked out. After telling God, we want to do whatever you're doing. I had no idea that God wasn't doing anything there. <laughs> I think they may be doing something now, but I'm still not sure. But anyway, it was one of those places, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, and I'm desperate. I'm trying to figure out, God, what happened here? What did we pray? What, 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 what took place? God, why is all this happening to us? And, and we're feeling like there's an injustice that's going on. And all of a sudden, I realize God's answering your prayer because my desire was to hear from God. We have been moving in the Holy Spirit. We've been casting out demons. They told us we couldn't cast out a demon because a Christian couldn't have a demon. But we told them a, a demon can have a Christian. But it was like... All of the things that we felt like God was teaching us, they were saying that's not, that's not authentic. And they didn't want us to plant a church in Pittsburgh. And all of that was going on. And I'm just trying to figure out. Ah. It was two years later that I realized that God was answering our prayer because we were in the right way and he was guiding us. The right way is a well, the, the Hebrew word is the word derek. And it means it's a well-worn path. There's something about the path of the just is as a bright and shining light that shines more and more to the perfect day. You'll get into a place and you'll say, man, did we make a mistake? Because resistance will often make you think you've made the wrong move. But 1 Corinthians 16, 9 ought to be a life verse for everybody. A wide door, say wide door. A wide door for effective service has been opened to me and there are many who are opposing me. Opposition doesn't mean you made the wrong decision. Opposition often means you've made the right decision and the enemy is trying to keep you from that decision. I being in the way. God guided me. And what happened for us was that the moment those doors close, other doors open. You know that old axiom. When God shuts a door, he opens another door, but it's hell in the hallway. 
Say, stay in the way. Number five, stay out of the way. Listen to this passage. Now, the context, Matthew 16, Jesus is asking the question, who do men say that I am? And they were giving all these answers. And then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. It's spontaneous. It's, it's, it's eruptive and disruptive. He doesn't even know what he's saying. He, it's revelation. He happened to be the guy who the Holy Spirit said, I can use him. And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, wow. And he looks at Peter and he says, they're getting it. Now I know God can speak to them. And he says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father was in heaven. And I send you, Peter, upon this rock. I'm going to my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against that. And he goes on to tell them what's going to happen. And he says, and I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified, and they're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff to me. And Peter, who just now is discovering he can hear from God, he says to Jesus, come here, come here. You stop talking like that. You ain't going nowhere. Have pity on yourself. And now I'm saying to you, what Jesus said. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Bible, the loud version. 1622. Then Peter took him aside to speak to him privately and began to reprove and charge him sharply saying, God forbid, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned away from Peter and said to him, he turned away from Peter. Here's Peter right here. He turns away from Peter and says to Peter, he turns from Peter and he speaks to Peter and he calls Peter Satan. You are in my way. Don't allow a revelation that he gives to you in one season cause you to think that it puts you on level with him. God can say a whole lot to us, but it doesn't qualify us to sit on the Ways and Means Committee. Stay out of the way. He says, you are an offense and a hindrance and a snare to me, for you are minding what partakes not of the nature and quality of men, but of God, but of men. You are more concerned about man's things than God's things. Because when Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, Peter is a disciple, and he's thinking, if he's going to go to the cross, we're going to go to the cross, and I don't want to go to the cross. So don't go there. Don't even talk like that. And there are moments in my life when I want to say to God, God, don't do that. And God says, don't tell me what not to do. Tell somebody next to you, say, stay out of the way. Say it again, stay out of the way. Number six, read with me, please, 1 Samuel 15, 17. One of the critical things about life is that you don't get a lot of opportunities to make the mistake that will change your life. And I'll just give you a little, little bit of an overview. Saul was chosen by God, not the people. The people wanted a king, but God told Samuel, Saul, this is the one I want you to anoint. He anointed him. After his anointing, he said to him, 
I want you to wait seven days, meet me in this particular place, and I'll show you how to offer the sacrifice. Seven days come, Sammy doesn't show up, and Saul then says, I'm under pressure here, I gotta do something religious. And so he offers the sacrifice as soon as, somebody say as soon as, as soon as he offers the sacrifice, Samuel just steps up. And he says, what have you done? And then Saul said to him, well, you didn't come when you said you're going to be here. And I saw the army scattering away from me. And so, and here's the phrase that I think everybody misses. I forced myself to disobey you. I forced myself. And so Samuel said to him, well, you forced yourself out of your potential for God to establish your kingdom forever. He's not been a king for a week. And he's already being told, you're a lame duck. You're here, but you're not the one that God's going to use. For God has found him a man after his own heart. Can I just sum this up for you? The phrase after his own heart doesn't mean somebody who pursues God and is after God. What it means is, and you can see those in the Psalms where David will constantly say, I waited on the Lord. I waited. Say, hey, there's Saul. Kill him and you can be the king. He says, can't do that. I've got to wait on the Lord. The difference between being a man after God's own heart and somebody who can't wait is that difference. You, you have to wait. And sometimes you've got to wait in circumstances that are beating the heck crap out of you, right? <laughs> There's some words that I, 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 can, I feel free to use in other places, but, but I, I, I have a sense of the fear of God here today. <laughs> and you're being misused, and you know you're being misused. And they're telling you, you ought to like it. And so here is Saul. He is out. He is no longer going to be the person, and yet God can still use him. And so in, in 1 Samuel 15, Samuel comes because God says to him, you remember what I said way back in Exodus 17, I was going to get vengeance on the Amalekites for mistreating my people. He said, yes. He says, this is the day. He says, go wipe them out. Wipe out everybody. Wipe out the animals, wipe out the king, wipe out the men, wipe out the kids, wipe out everybody. And so Saul goes down, and he doesn't wipe out everybody. And so when God says he didn't wipe out everybody, Samuel comes down, he says, why didn't you do what God said? He says, I did. He says, well, if you did do what God said, what is all of this stuff that's going on? Who are all these people there? He says, well, I did that because of the Lord your God, and we wanted to save some people for sacrifices. And here's what. You remember the expression where Samuel said, obedience is better than sacrifice. The highest form of worship is obedience. Yes, yes, yes. It's better than sacrifice. Obedience is worship. And here's what he says. Samuel said, read verse 17. It's right there. Although you were once small in your own eyes, you were once small in your own eyes. Did you not become the head? Come on. It's on the screen, everybody. Come on, read. Come on, everybody read. Come on. When I say everybody read, I mean everybody read. Not just, not just Nicole. Come on. 
Come and read it. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Now read that. Well, it's not on there. You were small in your own eyes. We were driving through London in a, in a uh, kind of a minivan bus. And this guy who was driving was from Jamaica. His associate was from Jamaica. So they're driving through a really narrow place. And, and it looks like they're going to smash the, the mirror on our side. And I can see it. And the driver seems to be oblivious of it. And so his friend wants to say to him, I think you're too close to the mirror. And I think if you want to avoid an accident, you should pull over just a little bit. But he didn't have time to say that. And so in classic Jamaicanese, he said, small up yourself, man. Small up yourself. Every now and then, we ought to have the freedom to say to somebody who thinks that they're a whole lot more than they are, you just look, just look at them and just say, small up yourself. Just small up yourself. I was in a church, and I'm scheduled to be the speaker, and this guy is going on and on and on and on. And then he, he stands up, and he, he gives a message in tongues, and then he gives a translation, and then he, and, and the bishop is standing there. And then the guy starts out on another message in tongues, and, and he gives another interpretation. And I'm saying, in my own heart, I'm just saying, come on, bishop, you know what this is. These guys do this all the time. But then the interpretation of the second tongues was the outline of the message that I was about to bring. And you know what God said to me? <laughs> he says, so you think you know tongues in interpretation. Small up yourself. Small up yourself. Tell somebody, say small up yourself. Number seven. Stay in his light. Stay in his light. Psalm 36 verse 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. In your light we see light. Paul says, I'm going to pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. You have heart eyes. Heart eyes. Heart eyes see what head eyes can't see. And when you are in the light, it's when you're in revelation, you're in a moment, the word of God. You ever read the Bible and I'm sure you read the Bible, but let me put it like this. You ever read the Bible and you're reading a phrase that you've read again and again and again, but all of a sudden you're reading that and it's like these words step up with the page and you just, oh my God, I've never seen that before. You've never seen it before. Well, you have, but you haven't seen it in his light. And when you're in his light, it's like uh, CSIs. You ever know when the CSIs walk into a lightened room and they turn a flashlight on in the lighted room to see what they can't see with the regular light? This book is a light. It's a flashlight. It's something that is bright enough that when you find yourself in the context of struggling, it'll show light for something. John 1, 9, Amplified Bible says, there it was, the true light was then coming into the world, the genuine, perfect, steadfast light that illumines every person. There will be no person who will stand before the Lord and say, I didn't know, I didn't see, and God will say, here, just watch this video playback. 
And you'll stand there and you'll see moments in which he showed you, spoke to you. You saw things and you saw it in other people. The problem is that when you reject light, there is nothing else for you. Stay in his light. Say it please, stay in his light. Number eight, stay out of the limelight. The limelight. What is that? That's, it's, an, it's a reference to the old way that they used to take and jack up light so that you could see the actors on the stage. Yeah. And people love the limelight. They just like to be in the limelight. You ever been interviewed by someone who was interviewing you, but really it wasn't about you, it was about them? <laughs> That's why I stopped going to TBN. Because they didn't want to know what I knew. They wanted me to know what they knew. But they were using me as a ploy. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not messing with CBN. It's just those interviewers who were doing it. CBN, I'm TBN guys. Good, good, good guys. When you're, in the, when you're in the hole, stop digging. All right? Just. Isaiah 50, verse 11. If you've never heard this verse before... This is your first time. Look, all you who kindle the fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. Think of it like this. You are somebody who is so concerned that people will recognize you, you carry your own spotlight. Here I am. See me, says the Lord. No, see me because I'm, I'm the guy that you need to see. He says, this you shall have from my own hand. Look, when I am watching people, and, and, look, and it's not difficult because if you've been around a while, you pretty soon begin to recognize. We were in a, a large conference, and this guy, he's a handsome guy. I mean, really handsome and, and tall, white guy, white guy with an afro, a curly afro. He walked out onto the stage, and he had a white suit on, and all the ladies there and he knew it and he knew it and my wife said honey she said and we were sitting way in the back in the back of the park and she said I could smell the flesh the moment he walked upon the stage because he thought he was somebody and he looked like he was somebody and in other settings he might have been somebody but on that setting he lost his voice Christine Kane said it like this. If the light that is within you is not greater than the light that's on you, the light that's on you will destroy you. Yes, yes, yes. There are people who have become so enamored with the light that's on them, they no longer have a sense of reality. And the people around them can't tell them the truth because they don't want to lose their friendship. Say out of the limelight, just... Turn to somebody and just say, I know you don't need to hear this, but do it anyway. Because here's what God says, I will not give my glory to another. I was ministering at a large worship conference. About 2,000 worship pastors were all saying, and we're enjoying the service. And in that moment, um, I had to do the special music, and I was singing from a Lionel Harris song track. And uh, I want to know Christ. And I was doing the best job with that song I'd ever done in my whole life. And I'm saying to myself, Garlington, this is it. You had I said, Larnell, eat your heart out. I'm, 
I did. I, I don't know what happened to me. It was like uh, I needed a moment. God was going to give it to me. And so, uh, I'm, and then I heard myself saying, now you're coming to that. I want to know Christ. And I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And I had to do three key changes. And I did the first two. And then I heard myself say to myself, hit the high note. Go ahead, just step right down on it. And, and uh, when I got to that high note, I didn't know that notes could move. You know, just like, there was a note, it was there. It was right there when I got started, but then it went over there, and I chased it, and I chased it back over there. And uh, it, was not, it, was not, it was not pretty. It was, just, it was just so bad. I thought, oh, man. And I said, I said, God. Now, the problem, David, was that under normal circumstances, in a regular church service, when you do that, you say, ah, but they were all musicians, and they knew train wreck here. That's, brother had a train wreck. I couldn't say hide me behind the sacred desk because it was all open, and then I said, and I couldn't go off because now I'm the speaker too. And so I said, God, what happened? He said, you were so enamored with how well you were doing. I, I said, I thought I'd let you have it by yourself. I said, God, don't ever do that again. He said, well, don't ever say that again. Look, if you think you've got it all together, God will let you have it to let you see how much of it you have together and how much of you don't. And so stay out of the limelight. When people tell you how good you were doing, and for instance, I've said to a lot of people sometimes when they've done just anointed message, anointed singing, and, uh, and I, said, I said, brother, that was some of the best singing. He said, oh, no, 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 that wasn't me. I said, yeah, that was you, because if it had been Jesus, it had been a whole lot better than what you were doing right there. <laughs> see, look, don't be afraid to take credit for what God has anointed you to do, but give him the glory. But don't say, I, that wasn't me. No, it was you. It was you. I heard those bad notes. Just, but, but the anointing was there. All right, I'm just going to go ahead. Number nine, stay wasn't. Stay wasn't. Why are you saying that? Listen to Genesis 5, 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Can there be a moment in your journey with Jesus that you're ministering to the Lord, and when you get finished ministering to the Lord, you realize, God, you did something, and I had no idea that you were going to do it. And so you hide yourself. Hide me now under your wings. Just, God, thank you for using me. Thank you. Stay out of the way. Don't let anybody give you credit for an anointing that you don't have any credit for. Be a was not. I was there, but I was not. I sang, but I was not. It was all about him. Say, stay wasn't. Stay childlike. Say it again. Stay childlike. The, the most fierce warrior in the scriptures is a guy by the name of David. David says it this way. Psalm 131. Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child resting against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. Stay childlike. 
He's the king of kings. He is a bad dude. But before God, he's an infant. He's a child. He depends upon him. No baby nursing from his mother's breast will stop and say, what was the Tao today? We, we don't bother ourselves with matters that are too high for us. What happened in the election? Don't go there. Don't go there. Stay childlike. And just say, I don't know. But when you pretend to know what you don't know. One other thing, please. 2 Samuel 6, 21. And this I love. It's only in the King James translation. David said unto Michal, it was before the Lord which chose me before my father and before all of his house to appoint me ruler over the people, the Lord over Israel. And listen to the phrase. Therefore, I will play before the Lord. I will play before the Lord. He's not talking about playing an instrument. He's talking about being childlike in the presence of God. He's playing. One of the things, and one of the things I love about David, I didn't understand it at first, but one of the things I love about David is that he doesn't take himself seriously. He plays. He'll play in the music. He will start playing with the, or with the choir. I was just thinking this morning as I was singing, and I wonder why I was going to do this. And, and you're thinking, David, what is wrong with you? And then, and then the next thing you know, he's leading you someplace that you couldn't have gone as an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, so he's childlike. I will play before the Lord. But the interesting thing is that this word play is translated play like kids play, but it's also translated to mock and to scorn and to rebuke and to fight. So that worship before God is play. Before the enemy is warfare. That you are enjoying a moment in God and God is taking your play and he's beating the, this out of your enemies. You ever had one of those moments when the worship was so good and you knew God was doing something and you said, God, I know you were doing something. What happened? He says, if I tell you, I've got to kill you. And so never mind. I know you did something. Listen to this phrase, please. George Bernard Shaw said it. We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. Son, you got to stop playing. No, I got to play. That boy would play in heaven. That's because they're going to play in heaven. Let me just finish with this last one. Well, these last two. Number 12, stay broken. Stay broken. Psalm 51, 16 says, For you do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give you, you are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Stay broken. You say, how do you stay broken? Learn how to cry without having to wait for some moment when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Just, just start to cry. When my dad died, he bequeathed to my mom the idea that my uncle, my mother's brother, who was 6'5", he says, when they get too big for you to whip, send them to Joe. Now, Joe lived three blocks from my house. When my mother said on Sunday, Uncle Joe wants you to come up to the house 
on Tuesday. I knew what that was about. I didn't wait till I got to the house. I started crying then. <laughs> Look at somebody and say, you can cry if you want to. But the point, the point is, is that there is something about looking at a point in your life and you realize that you can't go any further unless you become broken. And brokenness is a decision. It's not just one of those spontaneous moments in the Holy Ghost where he comes on you, but you're looking at something and you're saying, Jesus, if you don't do something for me, and you say it, and then you start to cry. You say, well, how do you do that? Make crying sounds. I'm saying make crying sounds. Say, I need to cry. Well, then go ahead. Because weeping is what you do with your voice. It's God. Oh, God. I, I don't want to get started because I know what's going to happen. So we have something else to do. But I'm saying to you, there are times when I'm on my knees, I'm on my face before God, and crying isn't coming, so I make it come. I go after it, and I seek to be broken. God, I'm looking at something. My wife has said something to me, and I can't become that on my own. And so I start to cry. I start to cry out to him. And the next thing I know, I'm there. Say, so what's that called? I said, it's called contrived, but it'll get you where you need to go. Yeah. It's like pouring water in a pump that's dry. And so next to the pump, there's a little can of water. And they say, while you start to pump, pour in. And when you pour in, you'll get the water. Yeah. I wish I had time to tell you about it. Mary fell at his feet. People who wanted to have an encounter with God knew how to get their heart above their head. Yeah. Mark DuPont, you remember Mark? Mark is preaching a particular message, and uh, I knew the elders, those who are going to be ministered to, if you will come now and just stand here. Mark DuPont was ministering in the church and the prophetic word that God gave him was, it's time to elevate your heart above your head. He said, a baby is about to be born. And if we don't elevate our hearts above our heads, the baby will have a difficult time in birth. Mark said, I thought to myself, I don't have any idea what I just said. And so he left it alone. He said, the following day, the pastor of the church where he was ministering said, Mark, my daughter is struggling to give birth to a baby, and I, I need you to come and pray with me. They got to the hospital room, all kinds of activity, electronic stuff, all hooked up, and this young girl in the bed, and she's, her eyes are wide open because she knows she's having difficulty, and the doctor bursts into the room, and he says, the baby is in trouble, and we need to elevate you need to get out of the bed and elevate your heart above your head. Yeah. And she says, well, how do I do that? And Mark is standing there now seeing the prophetic word and somewhere unfold. He says, well, I'm getting ready to find out what it means. And what Mark does, this young lady, she gets out of the bed. She's great with child. She gets on her knees, not quite as loud. And she does this. He says, come on, get your head down. And when she gets her head down, Mark now sees. That's how you elevate your heart above your head. Yeah. Worship is elevating your heart yeah. 
above your head. Mary worshiped Jesus when she came and put that oil on him and then got down and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, I'd have to get a whole lot closer to his feet uh, with my hair, but... <laughs> she elevated her heart above her head. The moment you can get your heart above your head, God can say things to you that you wouldn't hear in another place. Martha said, if you had been here, he would be alive. Mary came and said the same thing, but from a different position down at his feet is the most high place. You want to, you want to stay in the game. You want staying power. These are just some principles that I've learned and I've watched and I've seen them work in other people. Staying power. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.